um, back in the series asking for a friend. And the question that we have today is, is it okay or can a Christian swear or cuss? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Um, so we're going to get into that question, those questions this morning. I know that we were experiencing some um, lagging issues with uh, um, with the music this morning. I want to ensure you that we're doing everything that we can to rectify that, but it seems really out of our control, having more to do with our um, internet service here in the church than than anything, and the, the difference in the way that music comes through the board and then out um, into the computer live stream than this does. So uh, we are working to get that rectified. And also, after our service is over every Sunday, the whole thing, music, uh, my portion here, it all gets uploaded uh, to YouTube as in like just regular YouTube video format. And so you can always go back, rewatch, and it shouldn't be, since it's not live streaming then, the quality um, should be perfect for you then. So um, let's um, spend just a moment in prayer together before we dive into the message for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Lord, I pray that you would calm our minds, our, our spirits this morning. There are places deep within us that can get all out of kilter and where we feel like something is off, but maybe we don't even know what it is or completely how to describe it. So, Lord, we pray that you, since we know that you know that deep place within us, you know and can see exactly what is off, exactly what is wrong, exactly what is going on, that you would um, reach us in that place, that you would speak to us in that, in whatever place we're at. Lord, and that you would um, right any weariness, any trouble, any discomfort that we're feeling. Lord, we pray this morning that you would reveal the truth of your word to us. Which we ask that you're, we would hear your Holy Spirit speaking abundantly clear and loud to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so can a Christian swear or cuss? Like I said in the Coffee with Cam, I will not be swearing or cussing um, during this live stream, so don't either get your hopes up or get scared, whatever whatever side of the aisle you um, you find yourself on uh, this is a, this will be a PG um, a PG sermon as I would hope that you would expect um, I am going to do my very best and my most faithful job at 
at simply representing what I what I find in Scripture about um, really it is about our words, um, the words that we say, and uh, the words that we say are not always just about us. They're also about the people who hear them, and how um, and how those that hear our words receive them and are affected by them, okay? Um, we started out last week by answering a side question to the actual question. If you remember uh, last week, the question was, can Christians have mental health issues? And uh, the, the, que the question this week starts out in a similar fashion because it, it asks whether or not a Christian can do something or can say something, or shouldn't do something, or say something. And um, I understand the question, and I understand kind of the spirit in which it was, uh, kind of the spirit in which it was asked. Um, but I, I want to bring us back to this idea of, or this, this conversation of what is a Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to, um, because that, that really is at the core of the conversation, right? If we say, for instance, if we say a Christian, Christianity is defined by not saying this word, then yeah, it would be appropriate to say, yeah, there are certain words you shouldn't say because that's what makes someone a Christian or not. It's the words we say or we don't say, right? Um, but Christianity has never been defined by uh, the content of our vocabulary, okay? Uh, Christianity has always been from the first moment that, that Jesus called um, uh, Peter to follow him, right? It's been the, it's been the, the I want to say the effort, but it's been the, been the, um, the journey to follow Jesus Christ, to make him Lord of our lives, uh, to make him Lord over our souls, right? To make him Lord even over our sin. And he puts, he puts our sin to death, right, on the cross. And we experience forgiveness to new life, resurrection. Uh, we are resurrected with him to new life. That's what was our, our whole message on Easter Sunday, right? So, so if Christianity was ever defined by the fact that, well, what it means to be a Christian is not to say these words, then yeah, there are there are words that, you know, swearing or cussing that we should talk about. If you're a Christian, you can't say these things. Um, but if it if Christianity is and has always been defined by following Jesus, His lordship in our lives, um, the process of becoming uh, more and more like Jesus, of bearing uh, the image of God to those we meet, then I think that there are 
bigger questions to ask about our lives than what are the words that I can say and not say. Um, so I want to I want I want to begin with that disclaimer that there are always uh, there's always um, competing people are always competing to define what it means to be a Christian. Um, and we could have lots of conversation about that, but I think that the, the way in which we see the disciples follow Jesus, the way in which we see the earliest followers of Jesus follow Jesus, is really the most pure sense of what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower or someone who expresses faith in Jesus. Now, also, I will say, like we said last week, that I understand that there are an immense amount of nuances with each one of these questions, meaning I cannot possibly um, deal with every angle, every situation, every specific word um, that is encompassed in this discussion. Uh, I will I do my best in these questions to give a um, semi-broad perspective so that you then can uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to discern what he's calling you towards in this area. Um, and, I, and I do believe that's a good, a good practice to have. So please understand that um, you might be yelling at your computer screen or your phone or your TV um, throughout this and saying, yeah, but what about, or what about, and um, your, your question may be, may be valid and it may be one that we can talk about, but um, also I'm asking for a little bit of grace in this process as well, knowing that there's always a what about, there's always a but there's this thing, um, and given given the right amount of time, maybe we could deal with all those. Um, but, um, but the goal here is not to completely exhaust the subject as much as it is to give us a framework that we can think about the words that we say and how they affect us and how they affect the people around us, okay? Um, so the, I think there, that there are uh, a few ways that we can deal with this question about like swearing or cussing, okay? And that's, um, uh, well, two main ways. One is, let's ask the question, are there certain words that are sinful? Meaning that we shouldn't say certain things because those things are sinful to say. They create a, a break or a gap in our relationship with God. They are words that we need to repent of. They are words that we need to be forgiven for saying. Um, no matter what the context or no matter what the, the, um, the situation, if you say this word, um, then, it's sin, then you've sinned. Or if you say this word, then you've sinned. Are there words... Are certain words sinful? That's kind of the the first uh, like tributary in this question or in, in this area that we're gonna that we're gonna travel down. The second is um, 
maybe not necessarily are certain words sinful, but are certain words responsible, appropriate, or wise? Are there things that we say that are not necessarily responsible to say? Not necessarily sinful, but not, necess not really the most responsible or appropriate or wise thing to say. So we're going to kind of deal with it in two different, two different veins, hopefully coming back together and weaving in and out in several different uh, points in this. Um, I think what we, what we can all agree on, or what I hope we can all agree on, is that um, words are almost always culturally conditioned. What I mean by that um, is that um, just about every uh, quote-unquote bad word is bad because someone or someones decided at some point in time that it was going to have a certain negative connotation or meaning to it, right? These, these four letters put together to create one word, that's going to mean something negative. Therefore, that word is bad. And so um, almost all words are like that. They are, they're conditioned by a cultural understanding of the definition or the connotation that they've been given, right? But because all words are culturally conditioned, it means that they can also have very different meanings in different contexts. Um, I don't think that like, I know that my great grandmother would say that there are certain words that maybe you and I use in everyday conversation that when she was a child, she would have said that word in my day and age was a horrible word to say. You were not allowed to say it at all. Or maybe that word did not even exist, right? Or, or um, if you look at some of the words that we use today, right? they can have multiple meanings and sometimes those meanings are positive and sometimes they're negative, right? So for, for instance, um, we can use the word ghetto, right? And ghetto in like a historical context um, referred to a um, culturally separated, I'm being broad, right? But like a culturally separated section of a city or a country or a county, right? It was um, kind of defined by a really culturally monolithic presence of people or things, right? Um, well, we, it can still, the word ghetto can still be used in that way, but now we use the word we can use the word ghetto in a really negative form, right? To, to say like something is um, uh, really like cheap or uh, fake or um, like not living up to standard or par. Like we say, well, that's, that thing is ghetto, man. Like that is ghetto. 
You're not talking about like a cultural appropriation of it. You're, you're talking about like a a new way that that word has been used, right? Um, another one is like savage, right? If you're on Facebook or Instagram and you see memes or you watch con like watch the comment section in videos, people will comment things like, "Oh, that's savage." That's and it's like another way of saying like that's awesome, that's intense, that's amazing, that's like, but savage has never, never really been a good connotation or a good word. In fact, uh, in early, um, uh, in early history, savage was a very derogatory term uh, used for Native Americans, used uh, for people who were unrefined or not, um, not fancy or didn't have education or um, in a super negative and um, inflammatory and derogatory towards people. But now we use the word savage almost as a compliment. Like, man, that guy is such a savage, you know? Um, and so we, we see that, that words can be used in a in a really contextual or culturally appropriated way to mean things, different things in different times, in different ways of speaking, in different in environments. So, we're really what we want to what I want to communicate here is that words really have always been culturally conditioned. They've been, uh, a word has been determined to be good or bad in its culture, in its context, but that the word in and of itself is not inherently bad or good. A word can't be bad in and of itself or good in and of itself, right? It's, a, it's, just, a, it's just a word, okay? Um, I want to be really careful here, um, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, and I want you to hear what I'm not saying, okay? Here's what I'm not saying, all right? I am not saying that because words are culturally conditioned, that Christians should be free to say whatever they want whenever they want because it's just a word and it could mean something different in this environment than it means in another environment. That's not what I'm saying. Teenagers, if you're... Sorry, we had a little break, break in the action. Um, let me go back to what I was saying, okay? What, I, what I'm not saying, all right, what I'm absolutely not saying for us this morning um, is that Christians, because words are culturally conditioned, because words have different meanings in different environments to different people, to different contexts or whatever, that, that you know what? Uh, since it's just a word that Christians should be free to say whatever they want 
whenever they want to say it. I want you to hear me really, really clearly. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, I can see this being like, you know, teenager sitting next to you on the couch watching the sermon, hearing the pastor saying that words are culturally conditioned, there's no word that's inherently sinful, and you're nudging your, your mom or your dad and saying like, see, Pastor Cameron says that the word's not sinful, therefore I can say it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Or that's at least not what I'm implying. All right? Um, what, I am, what I am saying is that there um, is a difference between a word being sinful and a word being appropriate, um, responsible, or wise to use. And certainly in like the example of a teenager or whatever, uh, a child using a word, right? Listen, there's, there's more, there's ample scripture for us to, um, uh, to reference that, that we are to be respectful of our, and honoring to our, our parents and that they, um, that God has placed them in leadership over our our lives that we that they have been given a sacred trust to steward our hearts to steward our our souls and so uh, if your if your mom or your dad or who uh, you know whoever is in um, uh, authority over you says that's not a word we use then that's not a word that you use there are, there are words in our house in my house that are not sinful right but that I don't allow my kids to use um, simply because. It's not a word that's kind. It's not compassionate. It's not gentle, right? It's not, it's not um, encouraging. It doesn't build others up. It tears people down. And so um, there, we, have to, we have to balance that understanding with, with, or, or balance that knowing that there, yet are words sinful? No, words in and of themselves are not sinful, right? Um, so does that mean we can just say whatever we want? No, we cannot say whatever we want because we also have a responsibility to be wise, um, to, be, uh, to be appropriate, to be encouraging to others. That's what I'm not saying, right? That you can just say whatever you want. What I am saying is this. This is maybe the bigger issue. Um, what I am saying is that we need to be careful to avoid a form, a form of legalism that says we are Christians because we don't use these words. Or in a similar fashion, we are Christians so there are words that we don't use. We need to be careful to define the value of our faith in Jesus, the authenticity of our followership of Jesus, the um, authenticity of what it means to be a Christian simply by um, saying, well, um, I am a Christian, therefore there are words that I don't use. And then banking or then like def um, relying on that description as um, the standard by which we create all of our vocabulary. Uh, now, what I'm guessing is that there are people who are screaming 
at their phones or um, their computers or their TV screens right now saying, but no, 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 that's wrong. There are definitely things that Christians should not say. Definitely. And I can tell you, Pastor, exactly where I get that from. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the Ten Commandments, where um, God gives Moses the commandments, right? And so that's where we're going to get to the whole question of what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Because that seems to be, uh, not seems to be, it is a uh, important topic of conversation when we talk about what is appropriate and not appropriate for um, people of faith or Christians to say or not say. So, we, um, we have scripture in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I'm, I will um, make maybe the false assumption that you all um, know what I'm referencing here. Um, my, the version that I'm using this morning is the NIV. You may have a different version. It may sound a little bit different, right? Uh, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. In other, um, maybe more traditional, uh, like King James uh, versions of the scripture, you will hear it say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay? Um, and uh, there are many different um, ways that the Hebrew is translated there into the English, but that's really kind of what I want to point out this morning is that, um, is that, you know, speaking of words, speaking of the meaning of words, um, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, okay? We're all, most of us, reading the Bible in English, meaning that at some point in the history of the development of God's Word, um, someone took the, the original Hebrew texts and translated them into English. Um, and the person or persons, obviously I'm simplifying this a, a lot, uh, that, that did so, um, used the nuances of the Hebrew language, right? And tried to determine the best way to communicate even the nuances of that language into a language that you and I communicate with and understand. And so sometimes they would use words or phrases that were a super, super close equivalent uh, that, still, that still communicated the truth, that still communicated the point, but that used different words to communicate that than maybe was originally used. Here's what I'm saying, okay? When we, you, when we take a scripture like, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, we're, we're, we're dealing with words here that meant something when God gave them to Moses, right? So, um, so for instance, you shall not take 
we'll just use the idea, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Okay? What does it mean to take the Lord's name? Now, classically, we've, we've communicated that, that means that you shall not speak it. Right? You shall not use it in your vocabulary. You shall not have it as part of your speech. Right? So when we go back to the Hebrew scripture and see the word that was translated take, we see that in the Hebrew language, the word take there really had almost nothing to do with vocabulary. Meaning it had very little to do with the, the words that came out of our mouth, the speech that we used. In fact, the word, the word take there was almost more like um, how we use the word take. Like when I, when I would say, um, when my wife and I got married, she took my name. Right? She, she became a Lineheart. Right, the word "take" there, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, um, was is is more aptly understood as like you shall not, or like it's a it's like a, a carrying, a a bearing, a wearing, a supporting, or um, the kind of the best way in understanding it would would be like um, a, a representative, right? representing when i when i take the lord's name i'm i'm becoming an ambassador i'm becoming a representative it's like when my wife takes my my name when we get married when i when i when i take the name of the lord i represent it i carry it i lift it up i bear his name. And so then when we come to the next part of that piece of scripture, we ask the question, well, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? What does vain mean? Vain here in the Hebrew means to, to desolate, to, to ruin, to, to defile to to taint or destroy what does it mean for me to take the lord's name in vain well we know that the name of the lord represented his awesome power his holiness his glory his Magnificence. If you see, you see scriptures in the the psalmist would say, "The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved." Right? The name of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, the holiness of the Lord. The name did not represent necessarily the like the personal name. It represented the character. Right? It represented the holiness. It represented the, the depth of God's majesty, the depth of God's, of God's glory. And so, and so we, as 
as followers of Jesus, as children of God, we bear his name. We, we take his name. We represent and become ambassadors of his character, of his holiness, of his glory here on earth as a, as a characteristic of being the body of Jesus Christ. We have been charged with the commandment to not defile the character, the nature, the holiness of God as we represent him and become his image bearer on earth. Now, this can be a, like a really mind-twisting type of idea. Because for most of us, we have been, um, we have been conditioned, I will say, taught um, for maybe all of our walk with Jesus, maybe all of our lives, that um, taking the Lord's name in vain is about vocabulary. It's about, um, well, it's, if you use the Lord's name as a swear word, then that's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. And I'm not really, I'm not necessarily going to argue um, with that, that if you're, if you're using um, God's name as a, um, as an adjective or a, a, like a, um, supercharger to some swear word or some cuss word or something that you intend to say in a negative fashion, then, um, I think you're, you're walking on dangerous ground there. Um, because the, the name of the Lord, representative of his character, his holiness, his glory, his honor, is not something that we should trifle with. Not something that we should um, hold or take lightly. Because our words definitively matter in life. And what we say out of our mouth is, a, um, is an overflow of the content of our heart, the Gospel of Matthew says. Right? That, that what is here in our hearts right, overflows out of our mouths. But there is a, another maybe dimension here that I want to talk about is that... Um, in our words, we, we, we said, like, okay, are certain words sinful? And uh, we made the general uh, assumption that because words are culturally or contextually determined as either negative or positive, that a word in and of itself in, like, the big spiritual realm is not necessarily sinful. But there is also the question, um, does that mean that all words are fair game no matter the situation, no matter what you believe, no matter who you are or where you're with, or is, it, is it responsible, is it appropriate, is it wise? And my unilateral answer, and I think the answer from Scripture here is that absolutely not, is that it doesn't mean we can just say whatever we want whenever we want. Just because something isn't wrong 
doesn't mean that it's right. Just because something that we say might not necessarily be spiritually wrong doesn't mean that it is right. Our words do matter significantly. And I'm sure that all of, um, all of us, myself more than anyone else, I guarantee it, have more than a few example about how our words have either caused us trouble or done damage in the lives or the hearts of others or we've been, um, we've been judged on the things that we've said and sometimes rightly so, the, um, the content of our words. And scripture is really clear about this as well, that the power of our words, that the, that the, that the power of our tongue right, is, is immense. Um, and the epistle that James writes, he says this um, about the tongue. First in James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, uh, If anyone considers, considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their faith is worthless. Their religion is worthless. And then later in the same epistle, he says this about the tongue. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Well, the inherent question there is, is, are our words a salt spring or they, are they fresh water? Do they, do they strangle and kill life or do they promote life? The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason, right? It is the saltiest body of water on earth. So salty that nothing in it can survive. Right? It's not fresh water. It's salt water that chokes the life out of everything. Fresh water is where life happens, is where, um, is where vi the vibrancy of life happens. Um, and it's not just in uh, James that we see the power of our words. Um, back, um, geez, it was, was at the end of last summer, we, we preached a sermon series in uh, the book of Proverbs uh, on wisdom. And one of the sermons we did was wisdom for our speech. Right? What is, how, how do we have, well, like what is wise speech? And some of the... Um, some of the scriptures that we used in that Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That our, that our words can stir up anger. They can, they can, they can create turmoil 
right? Um, but a gentle answer, a gentle word, can turn away wrath. Uh, similar in Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 4, the words of a person's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Verse 21 in the same chapter there, Proverbs chapter 15, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. Finally, um, probably in one of the most significant, um, significantly direct portions of Scripture that we have on the words that we speak is Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29, it really dives down deep into what um, the whole council of Scripture says about our vocabulary, right? The words that come out of our mouth, what the, what the purpose of words should be, the aim and target of what our words should be, specifically in the life of the believer. Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 29 is, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want to say this is that when we talk about speech, words, is it okay for a Christian to swear or cuss? Understand that we have talked about how no words are necessarily inherently sinful, but how God has given us the responsibility in the Ten Commandments and beyond to be a bearer of His image, an ambassador of His name that does not defile that does not desolate, that does not ruin or destroy His glory. That, that bad speech within Scripture is usually classified as speech that tears people down rather than builds them up. That bad and sinful speech in Scripture is speech that does not promote peace, but that incites quarreling, that incites disunity, that bad and sinful speech in Scripture is Scripture that instead of speaking life, like a fresh water bubbling brook, it speaks death, like a, like a, a salty, like a salty um, fountain, a salty well. Now, outside of this, Outside of the idea that our uh, that our scripture should be uh, scripture that builds people up, that promotes peace, that does not incite quarreling, and that speaks life, not death, our speech should be monitored monitored in what is really contextually appropriate, responsible, or wise in the in the moment, in the time, 
in the place. There's a, there's a reason that I don't swear or cuss while I'm preaching, right? There's a reason why, um, uh, why, you know, most people refrain from using um, bad language in front of children, right? Those who are impressionable, those who don't understand the nuances of the way the words are used or what is maybe contextually appropriate or responsible or wise even in the moment. And I would also say that brothers and sisters, you and I, we having problems again? Jesus, take the wheel. Who knows if y'all can hear me out there or not. I don't know. SoundCloud can. Yeah, well, and old tech. old tech, yeah. If you need to rewind your cassette tape, uh, just go ahead. So is the stream interrupted or is the recording interrupted or? Okay, well. What I'm being told is that the stream is had been interrupted, but we are back on. I'm hoping that we're back on. If you are watching the stream again somewhere, somehow, maybe shoot a comment. Let us know that you're still there or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure when we lost, what we lost. Um, but... Uh, I'll tell you what. We'll go back to we'll go back to this this last point. Was that um, outside of? So we determined, right? We came to the point of believing, or of um, we came to the point of saying that bad or sinful speech, as classified in Scripture, in a general term, right, is speech that tears people down rather than builds them up. Right? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building others up in the Lord. Right? It is, it is speech that tears people down. Right? Speech is also sinful when it does not promote, promote peace, but it promotes quarreling, arguing, dissension, disunity, chaos. Right? Uh, speech is sinful when it does not speak life into people, but rather speaks death, right? When my, when my speech is like a salt spring rather than a fresh water spring, right? Then my words are like, they're, they're sinful. Words that I need to change, repent of, and um, ask the Lord to, to refine and sanctify my tongue, right? Now, outside of that, our speech should be monitored closely by what is contextually 
appropriate, responsible, and wise. This is the reason that you don't hear me cuss or swear when I'm preaching or on a live stream, right? Why, um, why most people understand that it's not appropriate to, um, to swear in front of children, right? Because they don't understand the nuances of language, the, the, what is like contextually okay and not, and they'll end up using a four-letter word in school, right? When, um, uh, when it's not appropriate for a person who does not understand language like that to be using those those types of words or that that type of speech. Now, brothers and sisters, those of us who follow Jesus, um, I will also say, and this is where it gets really tricky, right? Uh, I will also say that those of us who express faith in Jesus Christ and who follow him, right? and who are image bearers of God, who wish to not take the name of the Lord in vain. We have a responsibility in the sight of an unbelieving world to represent the heart of God, the character of God, and the nature of God in as faithful a way as we are able, right? And so, if a, let's just say, an, an unbelieving person sees, hears, has an experience with someone who is Christian, right? Who cusses and swears like a sailor, who has nothing good to say about anyone, who only speaks death <laughs> and quarreling, and dissension and discouragement about everything, right? Then we will be held accountable for the way that our words affect the unbelieving person's heart and perspective and understanding of God, of the church, okay? Now, this is really clear in Scripture, right? That, that we have a responsibility to provide a witness that is pure. Does purity mean perfection? Purity does not mean perfection. In fact, in a, in a world where some swear or cuss words are commonplace, right, are used in everyday language, it becomes semi-normal even to use these words even between a Christian person and a non-Christian person, right? But that doesn't mean that every other word out of our mouth is a cuss word and that we can just assume a posture of vulgarity just because it's not sinful to say that word. I want to use an example about um, from Scripture that references something else, but that is the same point. So when, when um, Jewish people who were receiving faith in Jesus Christ, right, uh, were leaving behind the Old Testament law and instead choosing to follow by grace the way of Jesus, right, Jewish or um, 
uh, non-Jewish people or Gentiles were also coming to faith in Jesus. And so there was these, this clash of cultures and what was culturally appropriate for one group and what was culturally appropriate for another group. And they were coming together as one body of Jesus. And there was always a lot of questions about, well, do you have to do this because I do this? Or like, that was one of um, Peter and Paul's big issues, right? In the New Testament was like, well, um, if a Gentile is coming to faith in Jesus and Jesus is the Jew is Jewish, then a Gentile should be circumcised. And Paul was saying, well, no, it's circumcision or not circumcision circumcision is nothing, right? It's Jesus that matters. There was another issue that they were dealing with. It was like the the do we eat meat or not? There was some there were some ceremonial and ritual laws in Judaism that prevented at times people from eating meat, right? Certain times and places. And so like since Christianity was coming, being birthed out of the Jewish faith, right? Is it can we eat meat? Can we not eat meat? Someone sees me eating meat, are they gonna think that like I'm bad or that I'm sinful. So one of the scriptures that talks about what was going on is Romans chapter 14. And I, it is a whole chapter, but I am going to read it to you because I believe that it is super applicable and really like kind of the same situation, just referencing the eating of meat rather than the using of swear or cuss words. All right. So when I, when I read this, or when you're following along with me, think in terms of what we've been talking about this morning, right? Is it sinful? Maybe not. Is it wise, appropriate, or responsible? Depends on who you're with, okay? Um, Romans chapter 14. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. This is a disputable matter, okay? One person's faith allows them to eat everything. But another person whose faith is weak may only eat vegetables. And the one who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another one considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. They who regard one day as special does so to the Lord. The one who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and, who, and, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God too. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to him. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, verse 13, 
Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother or sister's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food, no words, are unclean in themselves. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat or because of what you say, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating or your speaking, destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider to be good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or speaking or swearing or cussing, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or for whatever word you want to say. All food is clean. All words are clean. But it is wrong for a man or a woman to eat anything, to say anything, that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat or drink or to do anything else that will cause your brother to, to fail. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That's a good word for us today. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating. his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is from sin. Here's the question. Um, is the Holy Spirit convicting me about the words that I'm using? Is there a an, an, an inner bubbling up of the Spirit of God that when I speak a certain word in a certain instance, in a certain context, that I feel the sting of... Oof, I should not have done that. I should not have said that. I should not have used that word. Right? Who is hearing me when I speak? Am I misrepresenting? Am I, am I, am I speaking in a place or in a time? Who is, who is, um, who is hearing me when I speak?
Okay, so here we are again. <laughs> I know that the uh, stream keeps crashing. We're so sorry. Um, it's really not anything that we have control over here. Uh, we're trying to work through it. Um, I think the, the, at the end, um, we're here right at the end. The question then is, um, is the Holy Spirit convicting me of the words that I'm saying? No. When I say a certain word in a certain context or at a certain time, do I get this bubbling up, this twinge of like, ugh, I should not have said that. I should not have done that. Even if the word itself isn't sinful, if the Holy Spirit is convicting me, what we just read in Romans 14 of what I'm doing, then yes, it is something that I need to repent of and begin to ask the Lord to change in my heart. Who is hearing me? And am I, am I speaking in such a way around people whose faith I could be affecting by the words that I say? Am I taking the glory and honor and character and image of God? Am I desolating it? Am I defiling it? Am I doing damage to it because, well, I want freedom to say whatever I want? That are, those are key questions for us to ask when we talk about our speech. When we talk about the, the, the words that are coming out of our mouths. Our, um, our practice as a, as a church is... Um, our practice as a church, my desire as a pastor, as a, as a preacher and teacher of God's word, um, is not to just reaffirm or tell you what I think you want to hear um, or what you've always been heard and told. My commitment always, from the very first day that I accepted a call into ministry when I was a junior in high school, to this day and every day going forward, is to open up God's Word, um, to communicate what I find in it, um, to believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding me in my study and in my communication, and in particular, to ensure that you and I and all those under my leadership or hearing um, me in communication while I preach um, are given not, um, not being placated, not being given a picture of what it means to follow Jesus or be a Christian that has been just always traditionally and classically communicated. And sometimes what that means is that um, there are messages that are, that, are, that are given or things that are said that we don't agree with and that we've never been taught or whatever. And so you may have been taught or been um, conditioned to believe that there are certain words that are absolutely wrong to say and you should never say them and... Um, you feel like when you say them, you're sinning. And I would say, in response to that, if you have an inner conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit 
about uh, a word that you say, then you should absolutely not say it. Um, but that just like Paul communicates in Romans chapter 14, um, that there was no food that God has deemed unclean, uh, and that so if someone decides to eat unclean food, um, then we should not stand in judgment over them. That I believe that we have, have a responsibility to be faithful to God's word and say that um, that if there is a word that a believer uses that you don't want to use and is you feel like is wrong for you to use, but they haven't fallen under the same conviction, personal conviction from the Holy Spirit, then we should live and let live and make sure that we are focusing, that we're making the main things of Scripture and the main things of following Jesus the main things and and not not make the, the side issues. What, what Paul said here in Romans chapter 14 was what? Um, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters, right? Like, let's not, let's not get into making disputable matters of the faith mountains that separate people. Let's, let's avoid the legalism that says, well, if you say those things, you must not be a Christian. You must not really believe in Jesus like I believe in Jesus because I don't say those things. Um, that's detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not do that. Um, let us all work together to be people who, like we talked about, uses our speech to build people up rather than tear them down, to promote peace, to squash quarreling, to speak life rather than death. Because we are a life-giving, hope-dealing people. Deal hope. Give life. Be an image bearer of God that, that, that takes his nature, his character, his, his, um, his goodness, his gentleness, his grace, his mercy, his love, and rightly represents it to those who are around us. If you have communion elements with you, I would, now is the time. We um, celebrate communion together uh, because we believe that uh, regularly remembering and being reminded of the work of Jesus on the cross is one, what Jesus encouraged us to do, um, but also it helps us to refocus our heart refocus our perspective, refocus our, refocus our life on the redeeming and forgiving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus used symbols like bread or matzah and wine to communicate or to teach his disciples a, let's say a lesson or a, um, a principle. And he took a piece of bread and 
He gave thanks to it for his father, and then he broke it. And then he gave that bread to his disciples. And he said to them, he said, I want you to take this bread and eat it. This is just like my body, which will be broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took a cup. And he gave thanks to his heavenly father for the cup. And he gave the cup to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood. It should be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Take and drink it in remembrance of me. And so when we gather around the communion elements, we gather around the object lessons The object lesson of Jesus, the work, uh, the, his work on the cross, when his body was broken and when his blood was shed, not for his own benefit, but for ours. That the penalty of sin might be paid, the power of sin might be done away with, and that we, by receiving through faith what Jesus has done on the cross, might come to for, might have forgiveness of sins. Go ahead and take communion in whatever form you are comfortable with in your own home. Let's pray uh, together this morning uh, before we close out our service. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And as difficult, maybe, Lord, as it was to get through that, we understand that um, things happen. Or we also understand that, that your word may... Um, be a real significant challenge to us. And we might not always agree with what we hear from others as they are handling the word. Lord, I've been in that spot. We have all been in that spot. Lord, we do not want to trust in man. Lord, we want to trust in you. We want to trust in your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you, um, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would really clearly, Lord, witness to our hearts and to our spirits the truth of your word from this morning. That we would hear and see and be changed by whatever message you have for us, whether it would be a message that we agree with or don't agree with, Lord, that you would help us to receive your truth. To process through what your Holy Spirit is seeking to communicate. Lord, we always and forever want to be changed. Changed by you. 
made new in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Conduit, we are going to close out for the day. Again, we apologize for any interruptions that you had on your end. We, um, we trust that when the whole service is uploaded onto YouTube in a little bit, um, that it may provide a little bit more... Co Yeah. We're good? Okay. And we're back one more time. One more time to say, hey, sorry about the crashes. Um, hope and pray that you guys have a great week. Um, we, uh, like I said, will be coming out maybe with a, an announcement or two in the next day or two regarding the, um, regarding the National Day of Prayer. We hope that you can join us in some of that. Um, and, um, just know, Conduit, that you are loved, that, um, we miss you terribly, and that we are so eager and so um, anticipating the time where we can all come back together in worship. Um, pray for us as we're praying for you, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. <laughs>